You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. may be seated. Thanks, Kathy, very, very much. Good morning again, and welcome to Summit Community Church on our campus as well as online. Glad to have you with us today to worship, indeed, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're in a series now in the book of James, simply called Just Live It. And the reason for that is James is all about practical wisdom. I'm in a place in my life right now where I need some practical wisdom. I've gone back to some things that are staples in my life years ago with the NIV translation, which is not a big deal, but I just went back to what I know. I've known that since 84. I've gone back to reading my utmost for his highest Oswald Chambers as a devotion, which was very critical in my life years ago. It's critical right now, speaking to me big time, but I need this in my life. I think we all need a time some very practical wisdom. That's what James is all about. James is about very straightforward language, about practical wisdom on how to live this Christian life, how to live life in the world around us, in the culture, how to live among one another. And I want to encourage us and challenge us as we're going through the series, read the book of James. Read it in its entirety in one sitting. It's only five chapters. It won't take long. Read it and then go back chapter by chapter, section by section to, to, to tear it apart. Let it sink into your heart and your soul. I was challenging you to do this as we're going through the series together called Just Live It. This guy named James, quick review. James was the second born son of Mary and Joseph. That means what? He was the half-brother of Jesus, right behind Jesus. Christ was first, James was second, being the second brother, second son, and the half-brother of Jesus was a difficult place to live. James sort of pushed back against that all of his life, did not believe in his brother, thought his brother was crazy, out of his mind, did not believe in his brother, was a skeptic, all of Christ, 33-plus years on this earth. But then everything changed. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, he appeared to James. He appeared in Acts there in the upper room. James became a believer. He became a follower of his brother as his Lord and his Savior in Jesus. He totally, radically transformed his life, so much so he wrote for us now this letter we see in God's Word by his name, the book of James. He wrote it in AD 49 to the first century Christians, first century church, and to us as well. Now, James, when he opens the book, it's very critical to read what he said. James said he identifies himself like this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James did not say, hey, look at me. I'm the half brother of Jesus. He said, no, I am James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying in that one phrase? The word doulos is here is servant, bond servant, bond slave. I'm endeared. I'm serving this person called God with my life because I love him. He loves me. He's taking care of me. I'm his servant, this bond servant in, his, in my life, doulos. Then he says, I'm a doulos of someone else, of Jesus Christ, my brother. My brother's now who I'm serving. Then he says, Lord, kurios. That word is for the Lord. You know what he's saying? I'm a servant of God, servant of my brother, who is also, by the way, the Lord, Jesus Christ. My brother is God in the flesh. He's gone from skeptic to now saying, 
I believe in my brother totally who he is. That's someone we can listen to. We can take, identify with what his words tell us. James digs very practically about a couple of things. Quick review where we've been. In our trials, James says we learn to be more like Christ. He says we learn to trust in his wisdom in our trials. We're very limited. God's not limited. We learn to rely on his resources in our trials. Then he says we learn to live for his reward, that crown awaiting us in eternity, that crown of glory right now and finishing our races, multiple races that we face. Then he says about temptations. He goes right into temptations next. Because here's why. Temptations always follow trials. Have you ever noticed that? In your life and mine, temptations always follow trials. When you and I, like some examples, when we face financial difficulty, what happens? We learn to doubt, distrust God's provision. When someone very close to us, special, dies, we're tempted to distrust or question God's love. Been there. When we experience unjust suffering, we're tempted to question God's justice. Temptation follows trials. That's why James jumps right into temptation in the second part of his letter. And he says, we're responsible for those. We're responsible for how we respond in our temptations. But in our responsibility, we've got to also understand God is faithful in salvation. We lean into him for what we need in our temptations that we need to make it through that time. And we receive God's word, remember God's word, and wholeheartedly obey God's word. Verse 22 said what? Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Just live it. Now, in this section, James is going to talk about what real, authentic Christianity looks like. You ever had a question about that? What does Christianity really look like? It's right here. James defines it for us. When he says the word religion or being religious, he's not talking about a ritual system. He's talking about that real, genuine, authentic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ called Christianity. Walking with Jesus, being Christ-like. That's what he's talking about. And he gives us some very essential factors to this life called Christianity there in this chapter, beginning at verse 26. A guy by the name of Soren Kierkegaard, the theologian once said this, and this is where James identifies. The human race in the course of time has taken the liberty of softening Christianity until at last we have contrived it to make it exactly the opposite of what it is in the New Testament. We, are, we tried every turn to define Christianity on our terms and instead of God's terms in the New Testament. We want church. And this is, this is convicting, but it's true. We want church and Christianity according to our preferences and to align with our lifestyles. God, let me bring myself to you like I am, and now you fit into what I am. It doesn't work that way, we, but we try that. We are happy to go to church as long as nothing in our lives has to change. We're glad to be Christians as long as we can define Christianity according to what accommodates us. The only problem with that is that in order for the religion of Christianity to be authentic, true, and actually acceptable to God, we have to let him define what it looks like. We can't define it. God defines what it looks like. We fall in line with what God defines. And he's defined right here. God's definition is radically different from ours. 
And that's what James is speaking to in this section, in this passage. In these verses, he gives us a picture with three factors, and the third one in the second, and the third one in the second chapter is more defined. Three factors. And think about this: how you talk, how you care, and how you live. So when you ask yourself those questions, how am I talking? How am I caring? How am I living? How are you doing? How am I doing? That's the checklist. It's speech that shows a changed heart. It's sacrificial care for those in need. It is separation from the world's ways of living. Look at verse 26. As we get into this, he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. How do we talk? That's a big defining factor of this true thing called religion, called Christianity, walking with Jesus. How we talk. When James mentions this, he's saying, I want you to see what this genuine, authentic faith really looks like. Now, in later chapters, chapter 3 is about the tongue in detail, but he, he starts it right here. So how are we talking? What about our tongues? The first factor is this, is a question. How do you use your tongue? How are you and I, how are you using your tongue? Does what you say and how you say it prove and show a changed heart in Jesus Christ? Here's what I've learned to understand. There's three potential outcomes to mine and your speech, Okay. One is, we can identify, I think. We can say the totally wrong thing in the wrong way. How many has ever done that? Okay. How many, now the second way is this. We can say the right thing in the totally wrong way. How many has done that before? Many times sharing the gospel, sharing Christ with people, they reject what I say, and I'm like, well, they just rejected Jesus. No, they probably rejected me because I was a jerk. Right thing, wrong way. But here's the third one. Now, don't be modest or humble. Uh, just be honest. Saying the right thing the right way. I mean, you've done that before. It feels a lot better, doesn't it? It feels better to say the right thing the right way. That's what James is talking to, speaking to right here. He says that is what Christ talked about. Did Christ not say, for, out of the, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of? I've heard this all my life. Oh, they didn't mean that. Yes, they did. Or I, I really didn't mean that. Yes, I did. Out of the overflow of the mouth, of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in here is going to come out right here. So James is very, very firm about looking at our speech that should define a changed heart, a changed life in Jesus Christ, different from the way the world does things. So let me ask you some questions. He says, if we don't control our tongues, our religion is a sham. It's meaningless. It's worthless. Throw it in the trash. So think about it this way. How do you speak to your spouse? If you're not married, a boyfriend or girlfriend, how do you speak to them? How do you speak to your friends? How do you speak to your family? Do you engage in gossip? Do you, are your words biting, cursing, angry, even just trivial? If so, James would say that our display of your faith is worthless. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper just for a moment. In our day, we don't, 
We don't add to or take away from God's word, but there's a thing called the 21st century that would say in this thing called speech, there's something else we tackle they didn't have in that day. It's called the thumbs, okay? The texting that we do, the emails that we send, the postings on Facebook and all social media that we make. We are so guilty of hiding behind our posts and our emails and our texts, thinking it's not real. It's probably more real than anything else we, we communicate. And so we cannot hide behind those. We got to be careful what we post, what we text, what we email, what we put out there. That's a, that's a part of speech. Don't think because I typed it, it's not speech. Okay. In other words, James would say right today, he would say, keep your tongue and your thumbs in check. That's subtle. It's not an addition. It's saying, let's expand this a little bit, okay? Keep your tongue and your thumbs in check. If we do, we're much better off than we were before because these thumbs get fat through exercise. Man, they can practice. They exercise all day long, nonstop. We'll, we'll talk through that before we we'll talk to anybody by voice anymore. If you want to talk to me, call me. I'm not a big texture. I'll text you. Yes, no, maybe, good, thanks. Thumbs up. Thumbs up means appreciate it, like it, but I'm out. Now, I do text some. I'm kidding, but I do text some, but I'm not a big texture, okay? Um, I've since got rid of my Facebook, and that's a whole other story for another day, but that's just me personally. There's nothing wrong with it, but it can be abused because we can hide behind that so quickly. So keep our tongues and our thumbs in check. How do we talk? How do we communicate? Making sure all of that communicates a changed heart. So how are we doing? How are we doing with our tongues? How are we doing with our thumbs? Is that all Christ honoring? James says, that's a checkpoint for our faith. Second factor is this, another question. Are you sacrificially caring for those in need? Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, colon, explaining to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How do we treat others when we see the needy and vulnerable? Are we moved to sacrificially serve and meet that need? You see, James right here is speaking to two things, practical compassion and personal purity. He says that would describe and define a true religion, true Christianity in our lives. True example. Anything other than that does not speak to it. And when he talks about, he teaches us that both of these are necessary to live a religion that is genuine and authentic and real. It's a real faith. See, James very passionately says that Christianity is radically concerned with both our personal purity and practical public compassion. True Christianity is marked by both of these simultaneously. And that will, that, that and all that will demonstrate a faith that is pure and faultless and acceptable to God. When James says to look after orphans and widows in their distress, that word look after, it means to seek out someone or visit them. We cannot live with the excuse, well, they didn't cross my path, so therefore I'm not, I'm not responsible. James says, no, you go looking for them. You go after them. You don't wait saying, not guilty on that one, God. They walked on that side of the street. I was over here. They didn't sit at my table. They were over there. They were in this place of the store. I was over here. He says, no, you look out for them. Go after them. 
And that word is critical. He says, those who are in distress. He was saying this, if we're a Christian, if called, called by no, Christ, we are obligated, not just a suggestion, we're obligated to look after the helpless, the orphans, and the widows. If we don't, our faith, our religion is worthless. Hard words, but very true. Because you and I know our lives to get in someone else's life to share the gospel begins and begins with us encountering them life on life. And if we're offensive, if we're not showing that, we won't get to base the first base in sharing the gospel. The only way we can ever make a home run in sharing the gospel is to get involved in their lives and show them we care. Show them Jesus in their lives. And we're going to see how we do that in just a moment. But God chooses, and this is convicting, but God chooses for help for the helpless to come through us, through believers. And that word for me is very critical at this stage of my life. He says, orphans and widows is specific, but he says, and people in their distress, whatever it may be, in their distress. And I want to tell you, I never saw myself fitting this verse, but here I am. I'm a widow. Never saw that coming. And the worst of times, never saw that coming. On a very personal note, I want to tell you all thank you. The way you have taken care of me and my family as our part of the body of Christ, my, our church family, has been amazing. You have stepped up in a way that I could never imagine possible. You keep stepping up. I want to thank you, but I want to challenge you as well. In the same way that you've loved on me, loved on my family, love one another. In the same way you've loved on me and my family, love those outside the walls of this church. Do the same because you've done me well. You've done my family well. Thank you. Challenge. Let's do this for everyone inside and outside the church around us. He says to look after those who are in distress. Let's move forward doing it in the very same way. Thank you. There's a third factor. It's called, how are you living? What's your life look like? If we take the next section as a standalone about favoritism, we miss the point. Here's why I believe this. When you take God's Word, okay, God's Word written as it is, when this was written... I don't want to bust your bubble or do something you don't think right, but verses and chapter numbers were not in here when it's written. That is an addition, and that's acceptable because it helps us track where we are. Rather than telling you, go to the, go to the eight, 891st word here in James, let's pick up right there. Go to the fifth, fifth paragraph. I can say, go to chapter 2, verse 1. We added those to track where we are, okay? So I really believe between chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's not really a break in thought. And here's, let me, let me explain why deeper than that. Because he talks about what this looks like in us taking care of people, doing this kind of thing, and said to keep oneself polluted, for me polluted by the world, the second part, purity in our life. Then he talks to something specific about purity, about called favoritism. You see, favoritism is a common way the church and we can even slip into worldliness, being like the world. If we're not careful, that's a slippery slope for all of us. 
Look at verse 20. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. That word favoritism means to receive according to the face. In other words, it means to make judgments about people based on external appearance. These external judgments can be based on many things. On how someone is dressed, about their physical appearance, about the color of their skin or their nationality, or any other physical appearance on the externals characteristics. And James says, if you look at anyone based on any externals, you cross the line and you're not showing genuine authentic faith. He says, you need to look inward. If you and I disrespect people made in the image of God by these things on the externals like this, we're in direct violation. And catch how direct violation of God's command. And later you'll find us, we will be judged by that law. That's heavy, but it's true. So he says, live that life unpolluted. And he says, let me share something about favoritism because it's a slippery slope. Look at what he says, verse two, suppose he gives a scenario. Suppose a man and woman in, in your, comes in your, a man comes in your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say the poor man, you stand here or sit on my floor at my feet. He's laying out an example, an illustration. But I believe with all my heart that James has experienced this, seen this active in the church. So it's a, it's a scenario, but he's seen it play out before. So therefore it's historical, but it's also for us as well. I didn't do that, y'all. That wasn't for uh, emphasis, so I can't mind. Um, but he's given us an analogy. James is clear that faith and favoritism are completely incompatible. Do not fall in line with one another. And he says, if we show favoritism, we have crossed the line and not showing Christ. And the world's way of doing things is common to honor, respect, and treat differently the person who can benefit us the most. You're climbing the corporate ladder. You're in your company, in your business, with clients, with everybody else. It's very, you're very tempted to go to those who have means to make you get better, achieve more. It's a temptation of mankind. And James is saying, suppose, and I think he's saying, I've seen this happen, but also suppose this. The rich come in, the poor come in, you give special treatment to this one, but not to this one. He said, we've crossed the line. We've shown that we care more about the outward appearance than the heart. What did Jesus tell us? What did God tell us in his word in the Old Testament about David? David was ruddy. David was small. David was young. And he was rejected by some as he can't be the king. David became the greatest king Israel's ever known in their history. And God said through the priest, he says, you know what? Manless at the outward appearance, godless at the heart. James said, if you want to follow Christ, how you live, you got to look at the heart, not the outward appearance. You got to look at what's inside. And I have been victim of this before. Have you ever been victim of that before? Years ago, I went to a gala here in town, and Debbie and I went on invitation, and we, 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 we appeared, and, and I, I'm not a gala kind of person, I, but I tried. You know, Debbie had a really nice dress. Debbie looked amazing. I was better than what I usually do. I had on nice pants with a sport coat and nice shirt and nice shoes. Wasn't, it wasn't Air Jordans. It wasn't dress shoes. It wasn't boots. It was dress shoes. And we went to the gala, 
And friends walked us to a table to introduce us to somebody. And we walked over to the table. They said, this is Mike and Debbie. And they, and they turned around. And as soon as, as soon as they saw us, I get this look. Mm. Look, looked us up and down. I was going, well. And I said, great to meet you, Debbie. Let's go. And it was like they gave me the look over. You ever had to look over before? That does not feel good. And if we do that in the name of Christ or name Jesus as our Savior, we do that, it's not good. Matter of fact, we violated God's law. I want to ask, a, this is corny, but I want to ask a couple of questions, okay? How many people in here are wearing shorts? Stand up. I'm a, yeah. All right, there you go. Now you sit down. How many is wearing jeans? Stand up. There you go. All right, sit down. How many is wearing some khakis? Anybody wearing khakis? There are some. There you go. Now, how many is wearing things? Sit down. How many is wearing a suit? Anybody in the, with suit? If you are, I can't see. It's amazing. Thank you, too. You're wearing a suit. Hey, if you're wearing, how many is wearing sandals? Just raise your hands. Enough said. <laughs> How many's wearing tennis shoes? How many's wearing boots? How many's barefooted? <laughs> I knew it. So, <laughs> listen, I'm just glad you're dressed. All right. I am thrilled to death in this place called the Body of Christ in Summit Community Church when we see people sitting beside one another dressed all kinds of ways. As long as you're dressed, we're good. You're barefooted, we're good. No shoes. No clothes, we have problems. No shoes, we're good. We have a, no perfect people allowed in this place. Come as you are, but be willing to have your heart and soul changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Externally, come as you are. We're good. James says, you show favoritism to anybody on any terms, you cross the line. We should not show favoritism. How are we living? Now, how do we prevent this? Real quickly, here's some things how to prevent this. Number one is this, and this is critical. Be captivated by the glory of Christ. He says, verse 1, chapter 2, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. That's termed glorious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The emphasis here is on the glory of God being embodied in the person of Christ. Christ's splendor, His majesty, His supremacy over all things, including me, including you. And when you and I grasp the reality that Jesus, the Lord of glory, came down, embodying glory, came down to the lowly and despised of sinners like me, like you, and died for us in our place on the cross for sin, he did not commit. When I'm consumed with that, it's impossible to look at somebody else through a different lens. He says, be consumed with that glory of Christ in your life. How he's displayed that to you. Now, extend that to others. Don't look at outward experiences. Look at the hearts. Be overwhelmed, captivated by the glory of Christ, that he's embodying this to us, done this for us. Second way is this, they're quick. Be overpowered by the grace of Christ. Look at verse 2. Listen, or verse 5, I'm sorry. Listen, my brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? He says, God has... God has elevated all of us. 
and he's done this. James says that God chooses the poor to be rich in faith. By his grace, God delights in showing grace to the poor in this world by being Christians. And here's, in the book of Acts, when you see the word Christian, it's called little Christ. If you claim the name of Jesus as your Savior, you're a miniature Jesus walking around this earth. 100% displaying who he is and to be in this world. And if we're not displaying him rightly, we're crossing the line and violating his law. So we're on display of that nature of him within us. And we should do the same as Christ would do. Christ says, I look at the heart. He says, be, he would say, be overpowered by the grace of Christ. Simply speaking, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. I and who I am have received unmerited, undeserved favor by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if I understand that, I'm a nobody that God made a somebody through his son, Jesus Christ. Don't give him by the look. Because it says, I'm a somebody and you're a nobody. We're all nobodies. Just elevated by the grace of God in our lives. Third is this. Be devoted to the law of Christ. Look at verse 8. If you really keep the royal law, find a scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show, show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law of lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. Now that royal law James speaks of, that royal law is the law, the greatest commandment Jesus taught. But in Leviticus 19, in four verses, it talks about this royal law. And in Leviticus 19, it talks about us, people who follow God, follow Jesus, committed followers of his, who, how we're supposed to, he lays out all this in Leviticus 19, 15 through 18. And the statement, loving your neighbor as yourself, is embodied in that. That's the royal law. And he's also saying, my brother, Jesus, my Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, he summarized this for us. What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Two parts, one law. He summarized it for us. He says we must be devoted to the law of Christ. And he says if we see it stumble on just one point, we're guilty of breaking it all. He, anybody who went through school and you were like, man, I'd been jumping off the rooftop 90%, yes. Sometimes it was 70%, yes, I made it. Right here, he says, if you break one little part of the law, we're guilty of all. We go before God and say, God, I did good, God. I got 90% of it. That says, Jesus, God says, failed, zero. God, I get 99.9%. Fail, zero. He says, if you break one part, and that one part right here is favoritism. He's pulled out. There's many other things, but favoritism. He says, you've broken one part, guilty of all. The fourth final way is this. Be always mindful of Christ's judgment and mercy. Look at verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. In other words, be humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James right here is showing us how serious this really is. And he catches this. Both my deeds and my lack of deeds are up for judgment before God. What I do and don't do is on display 
for judgment before God. And you think about this, think about Christ's teachings. James said, my brother talked about this. My Savior talked about this. When Jesus was illustrating the separate sheep and the goats, what did he talk about? He talked about the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the unclothed, the sick, and the imprisoned. And he says, those who fed the hungry gave water to the thirsty, who clothed the unclothed, who visited the sick, who visited those in prison, come into my kingdom. Those who did not do these things, out. Not, not here. You see, the law either liberates or it incriminates. And I tell you, I personally want to be liberated by the law, not incriminated by the law. And if I keep that in my eyes, keep that in check in my heart, I realize he says mercy triumphs over the law. Mercy triumphs here over judgment. He says those who've not extended mercy will not receive mercy. We must be mindful of this all the time. That we've been great, given grace, we've also been extended mercy. We did not receive what we deserved. <laughs> the only way to be liberated is to obey. The way to be incriminated is to ignore or didn't disobey the law. I can't. I think James would tell us, say like this: We close. You really think you're all of that? You're who you are because and only because of God's grace, His mercy, and His goodness. If you're a Christ follower, you have life only because Jesus chose to die in your place. You're forgiven only because Jesus chose to pay your debt for you. You're set free from the penalty of sin and death only because Jesus set you free and made you alive. You are who you are because and only because of Jesus. When you look at others around you, always remember what could be and what should be. He would say, you've been set free, so act like it. That's what he's displaying for us right here in this section. You and I, we must see everyone through the eyes of Christ. What does that look like? Regardless of wealth or social status, we should see our brothers and sisters in Christ as those who are like us, are united with Christ, and Christ lives in them. Regardless of social status or wealth in the world, those who don't know Jesus, we should also see many women who are not Christians as people created by Christ, loved by Christ, and people who desire to know Him. And we are the conduit of that by being the people He's called us to be. By abiding by this, how we live and how we act, how we behave, how we live this thing called life in, in Christ. How are we doing? Now, we're going to sing a song in worship called Alabaster Heart. And back in Scripture, alabaster vase, vases, however you say that word, the, the alabaster boxes and stuff would hold very precious things, precious ornaments, precious perfumes, expensive things, fragile in themselves, but holding something very precious. You and I have something in us that's made of alabaster. It's called our hearts. Fragile in themselves, but strong in Christ. When they're transformed, we're holding something very valuable in us. It's called the spirit and the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ within us. And we must let that overflow in how we speak and how we act and how we live this life called a Christian life. Surrender your hearts today. Pray as we sing where you stand. Pray at the front. This time is valuable to sing and worship Him in song to pray at the same time. Stand together with us. We worship the song.
Let's praise them together. Father, we love you. Praise you for your goodness, your love to all of us. Now guide us in all ways and all things to be who you call us to be. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.